In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, our confirmation catechism students are required to take sermon notes once a month as part of their course requirements. So occasionally you might see them scribbling during the worship service. But I give them a worksheet to help them to take notes. And so in my opinion, the most important part of the worksheet that I give them and the part that I hope they pay the most attention to is the question, in the sermon, did you hear law, gospel, or both? Explain. So Lutherans believe that God speaks to us in two words, law and gospel, or sometimes said in command and promise. And so being able to make that distinction between law and gospel is really the key to understanding the Bible and indeed to understanding our very own salvation. We, however, mess it up quite a bit, and so we constantly need to be reminded of that difference. And so when we talk about law as Lutherans, we're saying what God demands of us. These are the commandments of God. These are the standards God sets out for us to know what holiness looks like. In the law, in the law God gives us a word or a message and that word is fear, love, and trust me above all else, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God demands of us, nothing short of that. He demands that you love him above all else, and he demands that you love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law in a nutshell. And so if you don't follow this, you, follow, you fall short of the glory of God. You're unworthy of sharing in his kingdom. Well, as we read from Matthew chapter 5 this morning, I hope that the confirmation students picked up on the fact that we have just heard a word of law. And we've heard it very clearly from Christ. We have heard what it is that God demands of us. And so in this reading, Jesus is illuminating and explaining the law to us. And what Jesus is doing in particular is that he's showing us the ways in which we try to skirt around the law. So, for example, Jesus starts right away with the fifth commandment. You have heard that it was said to those in ancient times, you shall not murder. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you will be liable to judgment. If you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. If you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Well, Jesus is getting right to the heart of the matter. And what he's getting at is that all of us try to use the law to excuse ourselves. We try to skirt around it. We look at the commandments, like the fifth commandment, and we say, okay, I'm good. At least I didn't murder anyone today. Right? I didn't stab my neighbor because they were annoying, so I'm doing okay. But Jesus is telling us, hold up just a minute. Maybe you didn't stab your neighbor today. Okay, good. But what is really going on in your heart? In your heart, are you loving that obnoxious neighbor as yourself? And the commandment Jesus tells us is about revealing the heart you have and how that heart relates to the neighbor. If you love your neighbor, not only will you not murder him, you will not call him a fool. And instead, you will support him and work to help him and serve him as you are able. And when you fall short of that, you fall short of the law. 
And that's not arbitrary. Jesus isn't laying out arbitrary rules here. Because in the law, God is really showing us what his goodness for us looks like. God shows us that goodness is not just about murdering your neighbor. To be good is to actively love and serve your neighbor, right? Because that's exactly who God is. God is the one who loves. Jesus also makes sure here that we know that we can't get ourselves out of our own guilt. So he says, so when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and sister, and then come and offer your guilt. In other words, if you are on bad terms with your neighbor, don't think that a sacrifice is going to solve your problem. Leaving a gift at the altar does not absolve you from your sins. You're still guilty. And as sinners, we often try something like that. We think that we can soothe our guilty consciences by just showing up to church, as if walking through the church doors will make God happy with us. We think that if we write a check to the church, then we can be excused for breaking God's law. Maybe if we show up to church, we actively participate, show the world we are good Christians, give to charity, and so on, then the hate we carry in our heart will get overlooked. But Jesus says, no, you can't erase your own guilt by being religious. And then Jesus moves on to talk about the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Now, there's much debate and much consternation about what Jesus says here. But what was going on in Jesus' day was that many educated men were looking for an easy way out of their marriages. Men were trying to figure out how to use God's law to justify divorcing their wives. And so they were saying, actually, we're good. We didn't actually commit adultery. We're very good and holy. The law actually says we can get a divorce as long as we write up a certificate. It's okay. And Jesus again says, hold up a minute. Because you are guilty of breaking that commandment. Because you're guilty of lust. You are indeed a sinner. You can't use the law to get around that fact. And so Jesus goes on to tell us that the heart of marriage is loving your neighbor as yourself. Marriage is about the opportunity to love your neighbor. Your spouse is your first neighbor, and you love them by staying true and faithful to them, serving and supporting them as you are able. And then out of marriage comes that larger household, a larger family of children, grandchildren, cousins, brothers and sisters, and so on. And all of these are also your neighbor to love and serve. And then your household goes out and serves the wider community, but that's what marriage, according to Jesus, is all about, loving your neighbor. And so, of course, we read this with much consternation in modern times because we get marriage wrong so often. We imagine that marriage is only built on something called romance, or we imagine that we have to find the perfect person or our soulmate to be married. Now, of course, that is silly. Marriage is the opportunity to love our neighbor as ourselves by becoming one flesh together. And so anyone who is married knows how often our sins get in the way of loving the neighbor who is our spouse. Being married to someone will quickly cure you of any self-delusion that you're perfect, that you're sinless. Your spouse will let you know 
that you are a sinner. And that becomes obvious in that marital relationship, how much we fail in loving the neighbor who is the closest to us. And that's what Christ is telling us in Matthew 5. When he illuminates the law for us, he's making it clear. Your problem is with your heart. You are wrong if you begin to believe that you can stand before God and claim to follow the commandments. The reformers often talk about the commandments of God as a mirror. We hold up the law to see ourselves and to see our failures. We know that we haven't loved God with our whole hearts, nor have we loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are guilty. And the more we try to make excuses or try to get around that reality, the deeper we're going to dig ourselves into a hole of sin and shame. In 2 Corinthians, St. Paul says that the letter of the law, these commands that they kill, that is when we hold up the mirror of the law to ourselves, we should realize that we have no righteous leg to stand on. We are guilty. And on its own, that should terrify you. The law should terrify the old sinner in you. And Jesus clearly and plainly says that if you call someone even a fool, you'll be liable to hell. As a sinner, you are guilty. You have broken the law. You are liable to hell. But thanks be to God, the law is not the only word. The law is not God's last word. God's last word to us is the gospel. That is the good news. The gospel is what God promises to you and what he does for you. And God's promise is that when you trust in him, your sins are forgiven. You, Christian, are forgiven. Your sins are no more. They are washed away in your baptism. They're erased when I stand here and say to you the words of absolution. Now you indeed have broken the law. You once stood condemned. You were guilty. But now, but now you are forgiven. Because Christ has come and lived out this law perfectly on your behalf. Christ is the one who trusted and loved God above all else. Christ is the one who loved his neighbor as himself. And so now you are given his righteousness and his perfection. Where you have failed, Christ has succeeded. And because of Christ, you are forgiven. And so this is what the law does for us as Christians. When we come to a difficult word of law like we have here in Matthew 5, it should make us return over and over to the word of the gospel. These hard commandments should drive us to the good news. If we don't hold up God's commandments as a mirror and realize that we are sinners desperately in need of God's grace, then the gospel will not be good news to us. The gospel might become a word that sounds nice. It might be a word that sounds like it excuses our sins, but it doesn't do that. The gospel doesn't excuse your sins. The gospel doesn't say, you don't have to follow the law. You don't have to look at the law. But the gospel is the promise that God forgives your sins. The gospel is the promise that God gives you new life. He resurrects you. When you were dead in your sin because you could not keep the law, 
He has brought you new life. And so don't circ away from Christ's difficult words in texts like Matthew chapter 5. Read them, hold them up as a mirror to yourself. See where you are guilty and know that you are guilty. Know that you cannot and have not kept this law. But then run to the words of forgiveness. Run to the promises that God has made to you. Trust in the word of the gospel that God gives you. That is, your sins are forgiven. Amen.